Welcome, everybody, and uh, hello again. Uh, this is Big Ideas on the Go, and this will be our, our last summer episode. Uh, I'm happy to have with me as a guest Sam Visner, who's the Director of National Cybersecurity at MITRE. Um, Sam's going to talk a little bit about uh, what uh, he does there and what they do there uh, and how it pertains to the broader um, security uh, and data compliance audience. So, um, Sam, maybe you could uh, start off by just giving us, giving us a little bit of a background on yourself, your career, and currently what you're working on at MITRE. Thank you. Well, uh, thanks very much, and I appreciate very much the opportunity to have this discussion. Um, let me first start out with what I'm doing, but tell you a little bit about how I got there. Uh, my current role at MITRE is the director of the National uh, uh, Cybersecurity Federally Funded Research and Development Center. MITRE runs several, uh, seven federally funded research and development centers sponsored by the U.S. government, and I'm the director of the first and only such center that is focused explicitly and solely on cybersecurity. How I got to this uh, position is actually an unusual story because I've done uh, a bit of everything. I served twice in government, once as a uh, young intelligence officer, um, uh, and this is many years ago, and then went into the private sector and management consulting at companies like Booz and SAIC, and then went back into the government as chief of signals intelligence programs at NSA from 2001 to 2003, and which charged with rebuilding the infrastructure for signals intelligence. Um, think of that as a kind of cyber um, uh, in, the, in the era of following 9-11. Came back out and ran a couple of cybersecurity businesses and thought that I still wanted um, to contribute to the public interest and at that point joined MITRE, which operates only in the public interest. As you know, MITRE is a nonprofit corporation. Its principal line of business is operating federally funded research and development centers, um, doing research, development, engineering, thought leadership, uh, pro, uh, and program support for the federal government. So uh, in, in addition, I tried to build up my understanding of cybersecurity by running a couple of cybersecurity businesses. I ran the cybersecurity business at Computer Sciences Corporation and later at ICF. And as you may know, I teach as an adjunct professor at Georgetown University, a course on cybersecurity policy operations and technology. In fact, I will be teaching again starting this coming Monday. This time, however, I will be doing it entirely uh, virtually as we're not bringing our, our, our undergraduate students to the campus. So I've been in a number of interesting positions, both in the public sector and in the private sector and the academic world, trying to find a way to make a solid contribution to cybersecurity. I come to the cybersecurity business having really uh, uh, made my, my uh, built my, my book of, of experience on the national security side. So when I was asked to look into taking on the responsibility of running this federally funded research and development center, this FFRDC, the question is, does it also serve the nation's security? This FFRDC is intended to help the nation's business and critical infrastructure 
improve its cybersecurity by meeting whatever standards are applicable to the industry we're talking about, financial services, energy, transportation, healthcare, on down the line, meet whatever standards are pertinent to those industries through the adoption of innovative but commercially available technologies. The assumption here is that a bank, a hotel, a, a, a healthcare company, a chain that runs hospitals, um, a company that, that, that is running a transportation service, they don't have access to highly classified cybersecurity technology. They need to go to the market and look for the technologies that are available today. And our job in working with our sponsor, the National Institute of Standards and Technology, is to identify the cybersecurity products and technologies that are available today, that are innovative, and that can be assembled into an architecture, a structure, that can help these various industries meet the standards that apply to them. So that's what we do. As we move forward, we are looking at applying these principles of cybersecurity architecture to help meet standards to the new kinds of IT infrastructures in which our businesses will reside in future. Think about 5G, think about Internet of Things devices, as many as a, billion, as a, as a million of those devices, if not more, per square kilometer. Think about the information those devices are generating being consumed by artificial intelligence applications, which will use that data to guide infrastructures, transportation, manufacturing, healthcare, and other infrastructures, essentially to help us build a smarter ecosystem around us. Um, so as we go forward, addressing the cybersecurity and privacy challenges associated with this new global IT infrastructure is one of the key challenges on our list. Other key challenges, by the way, include improving the integrity and security of the elections process to, to ensure that it, it, it is considered to have as much integrity as it needs and as much as, as possible. That's a keen area of interest for us. Um, also working very specifically on the cybersecurity of the nation's healthcare infrastructure which given the current situation, the current pandemic is of particular importance. So that's rather a lot and I've, I've, I've doused you with a fire hose. Let me stop and, 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 and let you ask more questions. No, look, I think that's terrific. Both impressive background, it sounds like what you're working on is incredibly salient, uh, not only for the nation's healthcare during the pandemic, but also in a time of election uh, and so forth. I am curious, so I think for a lot of our audience and listeners, um, they know MITRE because of the role that it, it plays in the government in terms of uh, innovation and, and standard setting. Uh, obviously, here you have a role in terms of both, it sounds like educating, um, but also providing learnings to the commercial sector. So other industries, you mentioned financial services and, and others. How does that information get passed? Like, so what, is, what are the work products that you build for the financial services? How do they get benefit from it? How do they know what you're working on? Thank you, that's, that's an excellent question. So yes, um, we're not working with the part of NIST that sets standards, we're working with a part of NIST that helps industry, that helps the nation's business infrastructure meet the standards that they need to meet. And so I'm, I'm glad you picked up on that, on that distinction. Um, the work product that, that we develop is principally what people call a reference architecture. And if you go back in time, 
think to yourself about a company that wants to make steel and they've got to meet standards. The steel maybe has to meet the standards for buildings, for bridges, for railroads, for ships, right? Um, there are specific standards that have to be met. And the question is, how do you build a steel plant that will make steel that meets those standards? And a hundred years ago, NIST, before that, let's say the National Bureau of Standards, helped not only set standards for that kind of steel, but helped guide industry. Here are the products and technologies you can use, which when put together will allow you to make steel that meets these standards. The way in which these things are published today for cybersecurity is as practice guides, also known in, in NIST speak as the special, as, as the 1800 series of special publications. Now, there are a lot of ways in which outreach takes place. Working with NIST and working with industry, we are active with the various ISACs and ISALs, the, the, the information sharing and analysis committees and the information sharing and advisory organizations to help identify cybersecurity challenges that need to be met. We have strong outreach to the companies that make cybersecurity products and we've built communities of interest as well with companies that have to employ them, companies in the power grid, companies in financial services, companies in, in healthcare. Um, we uh, uh, we, we uh, develop these projects uh, first by, by working with this to put out a, a notice in the federal register that indicates to industry that one of these practice guides is to be developed and inviting industry partners to join in the development of those practice guides. Um, those practice guides are the result of a lot of collaboration, input from, um, uh, the, from the various industry partners um, with whom we associate in the various communities of interest, in the various ISACs in which we are members, in fact, MITRE is now a founding member of the new Space ISAC, which is looking at the cybersecurity of commercial space systems. So we work with these communities of interest actively and all the time. When a practice guide is published, it's published in draft form. And again, it's made public. It's absolutely unrestricted. Anybody can comment on it. And those comments are addressed before it's published in, in, in final form. Um, and it's made available on the web. A notice of its availability is sent out through the Federal Register. And in addition, uh, both on the government side and, and on our side, we are active and insistent in, in going out and speaking publicly and letting people know that, that examples of how to do it right now exist. And if you go online and look at, at uh, nccoe.nist.gov, you will find that these practice guides are not only available, but you know, they're built so that you know, there's a high level understanding, here's the problem that's being solved. There's a middle which explains you know, how this solution maps to whatever standards you have to meet, to whatever controls are pertinent to your industry, right down to the third volume that contains the glue code that, that shows you how to take two commercial products and make them work together. So the availability is broad, and the, the level of detail is deep. Um, and we are active in working with as broad a front of stakeholders as we possibly can, both in the private sector and in concert with the government. Uh, great description, uh, and, and thank you for that. I'm curious, um, obviously there's a variety of things going on. COVID is, is in the news, there's an election. Um, 
that people are are following and watching. And there's obviously plenty of um, um, information about foreign actors trying to potentially interfere. Uh, there's issues of other countries potentially stealing IP. How, how do you determine what you prioritize in terms of your research? And so how do you decide if it's going to be something related to healthcare, security, privacy, integrity, or something dealing with protection of IP? How is that set and defined? Um, another really good question. And the answer is that given the number of challenges today, it's very easy to, to, to be tempted to shift focus, you know, to the next bright, shiny object. Uh, but, you know, resources are not unlimited, and, and particularly time is not unlimited, so we don't have the luxury of doing that. So first, we try to, to, to focus on as much as possible on the areas where um, our government stakeholders and industry stakeholders are bringing, are, have asked us to do so. So in the end, you know, the government will tell us, you know, these are the tasks that we, you know, these are the areas in which we want you to focus these are the practice guides where we need, you know, where, that, that, that are next on the list. But at the same time, we're also working with industry to get their input regarding what problems they're, what they're seeing. And then at the leadership level, people like me in MITRE are out constantly. I'm working, you know, I'm, I'm always, for example, at meetings of the Atlantic Council, the Council on Foreign Relations, um, you know, trying to find and and the various industry groups with which we're of which we're members, the space ISAC, the financial services ISAC, to get a sense from them what challenges they think need uh, need to be met. But understanding that the world is adopting common information technology, it is also important that we not focus just on specific industries, but that we give increasing attention to cross-cutting infrastructure. For example, 5G will affect every industry. IoT affects every industry from manufacturing to smart cars and transportation to the devices. We've done a lot of work on infusion pumps, which are devices that are hooked up to human beings, but also hooked up to the hospital's information technology infrastructure. So if you are in a hospital and you are connected to a device, it's probably an IoT device. And in future, those devices will be connected to a 5G backbone. And not long after that, the data they generate will be analyzed with artificial intelligence applications. And those AI applications will help manage those various devices and the infrastructures they comprise. So for us, the, the, over time, the big problem isn't just election security or just healthcare, which by the way, are, are certainly important challenges but securing the overall IT ecosystem in which elections reside, in which healthcare systems reside, in which the next generation of smart transportation infrastructure resides, in which smart, the smart power grid will reside, in which smart cities will reside. So that is becoming an increasingly important area of focus, not just one industry or one problem, but the entire ecosystem in which all of these industries and all of their problems reside. So that begs a related question. How do you and how does NIST measure success? Um, so you're generating these work products. You're looking at a lot of problems. You're collaborating with industry. How do you measure impact? That's a very di a difficult thing to do, and we're still relatively new. 
Um, the center has only been around for a few years. Um, I think it's difficult to come up with a specific, with a specific uh, numerical measure because this is a very dynamic environment. Neither we nor, nor the government sponsor can compel the use of a specific cybersecurity solution. Not, and, and, and certainly neither the government nor we are in, are in charge of uh, what an adversary decides to do. Although certainly we can, we can provide some, some support and guidance in defending against those adversaries. So this is a very dynamic environment and it doesn't have deterministic outcomes. I think for us, success would be as follows. Success would be increasing evidence that industry after industry is applying the, the, the controls and the framework that NIST is called for, the NIST cybersecurity framework, and then in doing so that they have adopted um, the, the, the reference architectures that we've helped develop. And we'll see that is evidence of that will be that industries can go forward effectively and manage risk. And while we do see, by the way, increasing concern about cybersecurity, we also see that industry has become more serious, more purposeful in elevating cybersecurity to the C-suite as an issue and in reaching out and asking for better cybersecurity guidance and solutions. So while it isn't possible yet to come up with a quantitative measure of success. We do sense an increase in the consumption by the nation's business infrastructure and critical infrastructure of, of the kinds of, of solutions that we advocate. Um, we also have some more, uh, um, what's the term that I want to use? Uh, 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 episodic information, for example, with, with um, the infusion pumps that I mentioned before, those infusion pumps, what we had to do was to define an architecture that provided security features in the architecture in the absence of security features on the pumps themselves. But as a result of the work that's been done, the companies that are making these, uh, these infusion pumps are employing an increasing number of security features uh, on the industrial control systems in, this, in the infusion pumps themselves. So we regard this as increasing evidence of the impact that's, that's being had. Um, what I would say is that the United States, which is in essence a free market economy in which the government can set standards but doesn't necessarily tell industry, tell the business infrastructure how to achieve those standards, that it is an interesting challenge to be able to raise the water level of cybersecurity in the private sector in a country like the United States, which, which prizes essentially freedom of action um, you know, in the business infrastructure. And the fact that we're seeing increased support for good cybersecurity and the NIST cybersecurity framework and the adoption of the practice guides and the use of good cybersecurity practices and, and the application of controls is encouraging, though there's a lot more work to be done. So, so Sam, you know, one thing you mentioned earlier is you talked about a remit that spans both cyber and privacy. I am curious about how you define the scope um, uh, and the boundaries of, of cyber. Do you include um, a regulatory compliance uh, for either infrastructure or data? 
or is it purely the protection uh, for your infrastructure applications of data against some malign threat? Well, that's a, a really tough question. And let me, let, me, let me start by going back in time and giving you a very personal opinion, and I'm not speaking for anybody but myself. Okay. I certainly, you know, would not, you know, I don't work for the government. I don't speak for them in any case. But in this case, my, my experience in this field predates even my time at, at, at MITRE, where I've been for some three years. There are those who've, po who've posited that cybersecurity and privacy are a choice. You can have one or the other. That is, in my view, a false choice. But I understand why people think that choice existed. Good cybersecurity, particularly at the national level, requires a good deal of transparency. The government wants to know what's going on. If a new threat is encountered in a bank, the government would like to know about it. And if banks want the government's help in, 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 in combating these threats, um, the government needs to know what threats they're seeing and the private sector needs to know what help the government can give it. So this certainly calls for a good deal of transparency and information flow between the private sector and the public sector. And civil, liber and, and civil liberties champions um, will we'll look at this and say, so how do we know that the information that the government is consuming does not include my personal, you know, my, my, my PII, my, my personally identifiable information? And this kind of question caused, in essence, for us to see the false choice between good cybersecurity and good privacy. But we're not allowed really to regard that, that that choice, that kind of false choice, as I see it, as a definitive impediment to the work we do. In fact, it shouldn't have been, but it certainly isn't now, in my view, because it is businesses and individuals that are being targeted in addition to the government. And everybody needs support, and everyone in the United States, every citizen deserves um, you know, to be able to use the online environment with safety and security. So it's, it's necessary that we provide cybersecurity that also respects people's privacy. Now, even if I didn't think that, and I do think that, there clearly is some regulatory pressure. In Europe, GDPR, the General Data Protection Requirements, mean that no matter what you do for cybersecurity, you also have to ensure that you can safeguard the PII of European citizens. And you have to be able to explain how you're keeping their data, where you keep their data, and if they ask you to get rid of their data, to be able to demonstrate that you have done so. You can't just make the assertion on demand, you have to be able to demonstrate it. And in California, under CCPA, we're seeing similar requirements begin to that have developed there, and those requirements may become um, may become more um, uh, may become more widespread in the United States. I I don't know. I'm not going to make a prediction, but California is a big place, and presumably, what happens in California may have some influence nationwide. So that's you know I've given you what I think is the history of of what I would regard as a false choice. I've given you what I think is maybe some regulatory pressure that could occur. Now, let me give you a, a more practical, or what I think of as a more practical uh, challenge. And that is, is, is as follows. 
we're going to see in future a new IT ecosystem. It's going to be comprised of 5G, in which the IoT devices in which, you know, that live on this network, whether or not it's your thermostat, whether or not it's your smart light bulb, whether or not it's a heart-lung machine or a ventilator, whether or not it's a sensor on a roadway, or whether or not it's the, it's, it's the, smart, driving, the smart driving algorithm in your car, or whether or not it's the switch on a railroad on the metro that moves the train from one track to the other. These things will be connected. They're going to throw off an awful lot of data. And that data is going to be analyzed. Machine learning will, will, will learn patterns um, and spot those patterns. And artificial intelligence will consume those patterns and guide those infrastructures. And even though we're, we, we will try always, I think, as, as architects to ensure that PII is treated correctly, is treated with privacy, is treated with, with, the, with, with, the, with the respect for privacy that it deserves, it will also be possible to observe the patterns of life, given the amount of, of people, given the amount of information. So people will want to ask, who has access to the information? Who has access to the information that my car generated? Who has access to the information that my, my thermostat generated? Who has access to the information um, that my, uh, my pacemaker generated? And keeping that information secure, making sure people can't also alter the operation of the devices that produce that information, right? Not only do I want to keep the information about your thermostat secure, but I also don't want to let somebody go, to the, go the other way and, and affect that thermostat. What it says is that the privacy problem and the cybersecurity problem unify at that point. The ability to make sure that, that information and devices are secure is the other side of making sure that people's privacy is respected correctly in this new interconnected infrastructure. So from a practical perspective, I don't think you get to solve one problem without solving the other. And if you think you can solve one problem without the other, I think we, we're not getting it right. Look, I think that's a great answer. And I think you're right. I think with the amount of uh, data that's being generated and especially with 5G just uh, around the corner, uh, we're gonna be inundated. And a lot of that data is gonna have uh, things that are about you or by you. Um, so the need for privacy will go hand in hand with the need to protect um, that vital infrastructure um, on which that data lives. So uh, terrific answer. So Sam, maybe with that, um, we'll wrap up. I, I do appreciate you joining us today. I think that was uh, incredibly interesting um, uh, talk and conversation. Uh, I think what you guys are doing uh, at, at MITRE, at uh, the NCF, uh, is it hugely important uh, to every American, both as an individual, uh, as somebody that works for a corporation, um, and as a citizen. So uh, thank you very much, Sam. Uh, I appreciate you joining us today. Um, and I'd also like to maybe say uh, thank you to our audience. Uh, I'd like to remind them to subscribe to Big Ideas on the Go, and please leave reviews uh, wherever you, uh, you listen to podcasts. And with that, I think uh, we will say goodbye to our audience. And, and Sam, again, thank you.